Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. My name is Ben Myers. I'm a research market analyst covering the southwestern Ontario new housing market. We have three awesome guests here to discuss the Toronto condo market. But before I get to them, I want to let you know about the tremendous sponsor of the show back for 2024. So the Toronto Under Construction Podcast is sponsored by BCGI Barron Consulting Group, an executive search firm dedicated to the real estate industry. Since 1995, Robert Barron and BCGI have completed over 1,000 searches on behalf of developers, investors, occupiers, and lenders across North America. Their scope includes acquisitions, development, asset management, finance, corporate real estate, and board directors. BCGI has established partnerships with pension funds, REITs, and fund managers searching for talent. They are a trusted source for career advice and guidance for real estate professionals in North America. They can be reached at www.bcgi.ca. So we're, we're into 2024. If you need some quality talent at your organization, please do reach out to Robert. So speaking of quality talent, we have three, again, as I mentioned, three fantastic guests. So I'm going to get you all to introduce yourselves on, on four quick things. Who you are, where do you work, what does your company do, and what do you do at that company? So why don't we start with ladies first, Pauline. Why, thank you, Ben. Um, I'm Pauline Lehrman, and I work for Zonda Home, or Zonda Urban, as we call it, which is the in the U.S. It's actually known as the largest B2B uh, market research firm in that, the state side. But in Canada, Zonda Urban, formerly known as Urban Analytics out of BC, is a market research and advisory firm that works across the country at this point. Um, we've since, obviously, GTHA, but well-known in BC, on, on B, Alberta markets. And now we're actually doing London and Halifax. Halifax and Winnipeg. So wow. What about Nanaimo? I thought, I thought I saw that. We've got Nanaimo too. Yes. Uh, just <laughs> I had no idea there was activity there. Sorry to interrupt. Surprisingly but. enough, it's actually the new Kelowna. I think from what we've been told. I've been told by the team out there. But I am their VP of Market Research for Ontario and Quebec. Soon to be Quebec, I would have to say. So Ooh. yes. Ooh, interesting. Breaking news. Breaking news. Okay. So what do you do there? I manage our team okay. doing data as well as working with uh, the. Supervising the advisory and expansion plans. Nice. So, mm. nice. Andrew. My name is Andrew Kotz uh, from Tribute Communities. Uh, Tribute is a, a new home developer builder located in the GTA. We build uh, low rise master plan communities as uh, well as high rise communities. I've uh, been operating uh, since 1983. We celebrated our 40th anniversary last year. Very exciting. Yeah, we have sites all over from west to uh, Fergus, east to, I'd say, well, northeast to Lindsay, and then high-rise 905 and 416. Uh, I, um, I work on the sales and marketing team as the uh, director of market research and uh, handle everything all related to market research, uh, suite design, product design, sales, uh, sales strategy, um, pricing, um, sales, all the way up to closing. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Anson. Hi, I'm Anson Kwok. I'm the Vice President of Sales and Marketing for Pinnacle International, uh, based out of Toronto, but uh, we do have projects in Vancouver, Bellevue, Washington, and San Diego. Uh, I look after all the sales and marketing, development, planning, uh, and all the operations of our parking, 
office building and anything else in between. And then obviously working through sales all the way from launching all the way to closing as well. And yeah, right now working on a lot of master plan communities in the GTA. Huh. And do you get to travel to San Diego then? Only a couple times. More rental buildings in San Diego. Uh, okay, interesting. That's fun. Different market. That's fun. So let's let's get started. Let's we're, we're just gonna gonna hit it hard right off the bat here. So the new condo market in the Greater Toronto area averages about twenty three thousand new home sales. That's from twenty ten to twenty twenty two. But this year we'll probably end you know somewhere around thirteen thousand sales. So significant uh, decline. So. You know, why don't you give us your your forecast for 2024 and, you know, some of your reasoning and and, and anything else you want to kind of start us off with. So why don't we start off with Pauline, who's the who's the who's the, the numbers, the, the, the numbers, numbers person. person. Yes, exactly. All right. Well, we recently we're currently working on our Q4 number. So our year end should be done in about a week and a half or so. Nice. But I would say that the Q3 at the end of that, we had about 8,800 condo apartment sales in GTHA, which is the lowest I've actually tracked in my industry or, or careers. And Townhouse is about 2,700. So we're coming out in about a pace of about 11,500. I would expect that we're kind of our, our end game would probably be about 14,000 for multifamily. Um, on that end, to say that, talking about apartments, but townhouses have actually come up, but they are a very small number of the thing. My expectation is just out of the gate that it's going to be a slow start um, and refreshingly maybe flip to a better fall. Um, the last two years, the fall has been pretty tired and kind of people are worn out. They're trying to get through inventory. Um, launches don't come out and get the same impact. I'm thinking maybe probably 18,000. Oh, okay. 18,000, okay. so I think, in the ballpark so you're range. Bullish. You're bullish? I'm a little bullish, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think we have nowhere to go but up at this point for where we're at. So Interesting, interesting. Andrew, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on prospects for 2024? I'm optimistic, for sure. I think there's a lot of demand. It's just a matter of the confidence coming back into the marketplace. And I think we're there. I think it's going to slowly come back in, uh, you know, Q2, Q3. Uh, in terms of numbers, um, I would agree with both of you in, in the sense of we'll probably end up, you know, 13,000, 14,000 sales for the year. That's not what we require in terms of to meet our, our demands as well as the mandate set out by you know, government in terms of reaching that that uh, 1.5 million new homes set out. So <laughs> we, you know, supply is an issue. And if we don't sell them, we can't build them. But definitely 2024, 15 to 18,000 units. And then we'll see what happens in Q3 and Q4, which I think will be very, very, very good. Interesting. Interesting. Are you as, are you as bullish as these guys? Well, I think what? Q3 and Q4 are definitely going to be a lot stronger. I think the market's kind of flushing out a lot of assignments uh, a lot of kind of closing previous deals, which I think is going to a little bit hard for the statistics in, in the grand scheme of things. But obviously that naturally has to uh, flush back out through the market. And I also think there's a really great change in terms of pricing that's going to happen across the city. Because I think for the last maybe eight, nine years, it didn't matter where you were, the pricing was the same. Uh, so I feel like there's, you know, I think we're going to find, you know, projects that are, should be higher price or should be lower price will actually start to, taking its own shape, which uh, is probably a good way for us to sell across the board in, for real estate and obviously requires the agents to start uh, changing the thought process between neighborhoods and cities. I think the entire GTA, uh, I think it's very difficult to say that Hamilton would be downtown Toronto and Barrie are all very similarly priced, even though there's no benefits or, you know, whether it's transit, size of unit, all the amenities. I think 
we kind of lost that. So I think it's great to kind of get back to the back to the basics and rewarding quality real estate in great locations. Yeah, it's weird how how pricing really changed and how much COVID shot up pricing outside of the traditional condo markets, meaning like the inner suburban markets and, and, and downtown. Like I just did a study in, in Wellington, Ontario, and just tracking so many projects in Creemore and these places like a thousand dollars a square foot, like, you know, just huge numbers. But obviously those things are coming down and then just to see what happened in Kitchener, Waterloo and Hamilton, things got $1,100, $1,200 a square foot in Kitchener when you could have bought the same product five years ago for $550 a square foot, right? So just really kind of kind of shocking. All right, we'll go back to you, Pauline, here. Yeah. And uh, um, so what do you, what do you think is going to happen? Like just, get, you know, go into your crystal balls. You know, what, you know, what do you think might happen over the next couple of years in terms of, you know, are we going to see, um, you know, shorter towers because the market is softer? Are we going to see, you know, bigger incentives? Do you think we'll have more rental towers, bigger suites, smaller suites, cheaper materials, Any anything, you know, high level that's kind of floating around over there for you? Uh, I think the first thing is, is that, you know, the split between the four ones and the 905 is, is permanent in terms of the 50, 50, 50 plus, sometimes 50, 60 percent in the 905 now. So you think more, there's going to be more condos in the 905? More, more condos, more townhouse product, all that stuff is going to come more in the 905. Um, you know, Hamilton's going to continue to punch above its weight. I mean, right now, I'm getting close to about 10% of the market. I could see it going to 15 as we go over, depending on the projects that come out to the market at this point. Um, I think that in terms of, like, actual price point, that, you know, I think Anson's got a point in terms of just equilibrium. Like, right now, our average is about 1280-ish for the Q4s, and the last couple of quarters is about 1230. This is the, the greater average. Golden Horseshoe so area? Yeah, no, this is, like, the average for apartment launches in the last couple of quarters. Okay. So. Um, in that sense, I think that that's going to continue, but also a lot of the product is still in that 1100 range. And that's kind of, you know, through developers that have a lot of synergy, they can do multiple phases, move things out. And then you've got your, your 1600, 1700, you know, in downtown. Is any um, of that selling? <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly enough, yes. But also that has been an incentive. It, I think the incentives are stuck with us for a good year, at least if not more, maybe 18 months. And it's creative. How do you make that easier to actually go forward in terms of being softer? And the biggest thing is deposit structure. So deposit structure is in some cases now out under a thousand days. So you're spreading, spreading so, so 15% out and like over a thousand days. And you're and even on an individual one-on-one basis, some of the developers I've spoken to, yeah, you know, we were willing to work with you one-on-one if you want to have that extra 5% or 2.5% that you're putting down. That's more frequent right now. Hmm. And I, I think that's going to continue. I mean, but Anson also touched on it. Like I, I would say that it is important for us to market, but the closings are massive right now. So the amount yep. of 27000 plus another 6000 ish in rental this year completed or in completion because, as you know, that takes time. So that's a 33000 ZHHA, which is pretty substantial. Huh. So. Well, you, you, have, you have a decent amount of... Uh, I want to say a decent amount, but you have some unsold inventory in a couple of your projects. What what incentive programs are you guys offering right now? I mean, we've never really been a kind of high incentive kind of developer. So, I mean, I think for us, it's, you know, running its course for some of the projects. And, you know, to Andrew's point, there's a lot of larger, we have a lot larger units that tend to be more end user based. So I think that's where it's taking a little bit longer, but we're also seeing a lot more couples come in and kind of rebalancing their kind of portfolio because maybe buying a house in Toronto is not, you know, in, in their cards, but, you know, having larger two and three bedroom suites seem to kind of match things a little bit better. But uh, for us, it's a lot more, I think that product takes a lot more uh, planning and 
and process. So it's never really been a pre-construction kind of uh, activity. Yeah, you guys operate very different than a lot of other developers <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of we're unique. This, we're is unique. This, is this because you guys are you know have a decent amount of capital, or you just fundamentally don't want to be in the super micro suite business? Uh, I think a lot of it actually, I would say, is from our roots from Vancouver. I think we saw. The marketplace go from one bedrooms, two bedrooms to you know more family based uh, living. But also, I think for us, it's you know uh, you might notice our, our name is usually on most of our projects. It, you know, it's Pinnacle One Young, Pinnacle Etobicoke, Pinnacle Uptown, and a lot of it's to keep the buildings in in better shape. We want it to be, you know, where end users live and people care about the place. And you know that that to us is quite important to us. And that's why we leave our name on on the projects. We're not here to just build it and. Kind of, you don't, you don't yeah, want you don't want the reputation disappear. of being the Airbnb building where people throw chairs off the. Well, we're not we're not even allowed Airbnb in our building, so our, you know none of our uh, condo docs allow it. So you know for us, uh, I, I've been pretty fortunate. I've never actually had to deal with it the last fifteen years, so. I've been uh, pretty lucky not having to deal with short-term rental. Interesting, interesting. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read a little bit of a a quote from a recent CBC article entitled "Developer uh, Shuts Hamilton City Center a Year Ago for Epic Condos." That plans on hold indefinitely. It says innate developments said macroeconomics in quotes is the biggest factor holding up the project. And when the Bank of Canada drops interest rates and mortgages be- become more affordable, he'll consider launching. So, Andrew. Any thoughts uh, from from you know for your discussions internally when you think you know rates might be cut and and how is that impacting your decision to launch or even buy land? This is the crystal ball question, this is right? The crystal this ball. is the twenty twenty four spicy question <laughs> that everyone wants to know. You know, you're you know we're hearing all these reports and all the media and all the you know conversations about um, interest rates. It, it plays a, a massive uh, factor in, in uh, you know, not only the consumer, but also builders purchasing land and, you know, building out their, their portfolios. But it all goes back to purchasing power by, you know, for the buyers in the sense of, uh, you know, ultimately moving, you know, maybe buying that one bedroom plus den. Now that qualification moves you into a bachelor, even a smaller one bedroom. So purchasing power is definitely lower. Um, in terms of timing, there's always conversations of, you know, late Q2, maybe moving it to, you know, early, early Q2 for, you know, mortgage uh, interest rate cuts. But it all goes back to confidence. As soon as buyers see that we're at the bottom and rates are going to start to come down, they have to jump back in because ultimately prices will come back up. Yeah. So we'll see, you know, we'll see the terms of the timing of it. Um, it's always great to speak to everyone, you know, so within the industry, uh, from the realtors to the builders, to the lenders to kind of get a, a good grasp of when that's going to flip, because I can guarantee you once the confidence comes back, um, it's going to flip like a switch. And I believe firmly believe that, that the market will come roaring back. Yeah. And so do you have any launches planned for 2024? We are definitely gearing up for our launches right now, we are getting ready. Uh, we don't want to react. We want to, uh, you know, be be ready and launch because, as I mentioned, as soon as it comes back, it's going to come back quick. Yeah. Yeah. Nice, nice. So, what did I have, what do you have here? Um, so, Anson, I heard I heard through the grapevine <laughs> that you know you touched on it a bit, but there, a few buyers had trouble closing at at one young. 
how did how did you ultimately deal with these buyers? Did you take these units back? Did you you know, VTB mortgages? Like, what was the ultimate way that you, you you dealt? I know it was a small number, but how did you guys ultimately deal with that? I think we were pretty fortunate, actually. I haven't taken any units back. Um, wow! No. So I've been working with them, and obviously we work with. Uh, different lenders and you know had the building appraised previously so I think we've been able to provide different resources for the purchasers uh, I think uh, I would say some purchasers just weren't equipped with the team that could help them close in terms of uh, whether it's the realtor mortgage um, you know and, and, it, and it takes a it takes a lot out of people because I think uh, you know we requires lawyers mortgage you know mortgage uh, brokers are they getting, are they getting um, second realtors. mortgages? Where, where no, they actually, they've been able to close. I think a lot of it is just more of an inexperience of the marketplace. You know, yeah. I think, um, you know, it's not it's not a knock on where your your team that's helping you is from. But if they're not from downtown Toronto, it has its own different uh, disciplines. Or if they specialize in houses, you yeah. know, final closing, you know, even the statement adjustments is something that they take a, a hard time going through, but we go through a lot of that type of education component of it. And, you know, I, I like to kind of work through it. I, I never like to see anyone kind of lose their deposits. Like that to me is like kind of the worst yeah. feeling ever. So, yeah. I, you know, I'm going to do what my best to kind of provide as much uh, assistance to the purchasers to wow. make sure they close. So well, I'm, I'm surprised to hear that. So um, if, not, not that your, your project is any special, but you know, just so many people <laughs> you know with 10 interest rate in, increases, uh, you wouldn't my, think my that. My only that other point is, uh, you know, one thing for that I've noticed at, at one young street is just the, because like I said, you know, the $1,200 a square foot when it first started or when sky tower started, yeah. uh, most of the, you know, they were not first time investors. These are uh, tend to be individuals that had multiple um, investments and really went to the trophy investment to tell people that hey, we you know I have a place at One Young Street, so I think they actually had enough assets and so forth to kind of leverage that versus uh, you know in the marketplace where people buy first time investments all across the GTA and maybe not be have any other assets to kind of leverage them. Yeah, makes sense. So they could pull equity out of some of their other assets or sell or, some or, of them. Or, to... or blend mortgages together. Like there's a, there's a lot more to it versus someone that's like, hi, you know, I, I only have my house and I have a mortgage on that. And but tell me about this blend, blending mortgage. I'm, I'm not familiar with this. I think yeah, just in pooling kind of like their, um, their investment assets and okay. you, leveraging whether they have more, equity in that to be able to come up with a, a plan for it. Interesting. Interesting. Can I add? Yeah. So I would say that there's definitely more stress on the market right now. And I definitely have fallen along on the assignment sheets. They tend to be very duplicative. Like they're same, same ones that get put up ad nauseum. But two things that stand out for me. One, it tends to be a little more of the low rise. So they've overextended themselves on a detached unit and they're walking away from a $200,000 mortgage. Two, there's appetite to actually buy those units. So there's buyers out there looking for the distressed deals and they're sickling around. They're actually making out. So they're actually getting bought up, just not at the price point they originally asked for. And when you're dealing with that many closings, and we're not even talking about the low-rise closings, you're still going to get a margin. Once you get like a a 0.5%, that 0.5% means so many more people are in that pool versus before. So I think that there's just an over over kind of exuberance on the actual extent of the problem. Um, anybody who has come to us has had the same sort of thing. Very, very few 
you know, not closing at this point. It's only a couple of people they're working with and on that front. So interesting. And what's so, Andrew, what's your what's your team's kind of policy in terms of assignments? And and you know, I know you said uh, some of your low rise projects, there was a couple buyers that were maybe in trouble. How did that end up working out for you? Uh, well, we're currently closing. Um, we're occupying rather um, a site right up the street from here that you're familiar with that links. Yeah, um, it's going very, very well. And um, it all has to do with the timing. Right. So uh, the timing of when you bought into that project subject to, uh, you know, price points. So um, if you bought it a really price, the good price per foot and uh, and the numbers work in a particular neighborhood, then you're going to close. You're not going to walk away um, at uh, links at Maine and Danforth. Uh, you know, we're one of the, the first to get into that node subject to what's happening in that neighborhood and it's going through massive, massive growth. So it works from, you know, a rental point of view and, and, uh, from what our purchasers bought in there for. So, but if you bought later into the game, uh, into the year, uh, you know, 2020, uh, 2021, and you're going to close shortly or even the next few years, that could be a cause for concern. Um, but, uh, definitely it's all about timing and where, where you bought your unit. Yeah. I think people need to be realistic about what the interest rates will go down as well. Now, my gut tells me April, May, probably following the Fed. But at that point, I mean, what's to say it's going to it's not going to drop two percent? No, mean, it's going to come no. down maybe what point seventy five. I mean, it'll relieve some stress, but it's not going to be like that. The new reality is we're going to be going back to the old reality. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we're expecting 200 basis points declines or anything next no, year. Definitely not. So it should be. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. It's, it's, it's just it's interesting to see because there's so you know if you get on social media, you get on these you know they focus so much on the on the the small this really small segment of the market and, and the stress part of the market because they get just so excited <laughs> about that, right? So what if we talk about construction costs? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Let's let's talk about construction costs. So, so on our data end, one of the things I was interested in is this, the flip between the stages of the construction. So excavations kind of come off exponentially. It's about 44% down versus a year ago. So about 12,000 less units are in that stage, you know, plowing through into the parkade levels. The framers are all doing all right. They're kind of even because there's still a lot going on. But with that many completions, another bunch of 30,000 probably in that ballpark range for 2024, you're going to start to see the slate move. So, you know, you've got so many more in, in interior finishing right now. So they're fine. All the drywallers, all that, they're all busy like that. But I'm curious amongst our team is where we're seeing kind of that softness come on the costs on the front end. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how much hard costs come down into to a point where developers feel comfortable with their their margins getting back to where they need them to be. And I think I think there's also a big shift to you know I, I would say like for for us like we build our own buildings, but I mean we've you know in the in the city we've gotten to a lot of third party construction arms. So you know it's uh, it's just getting back to kind of the basics in terms of looking at sites and but even just. Uh, Additional costs, right? In terms of running our own own team versus having a third party, that's also out for profit as well to yeah, build a to build a building. And uh, and and nowadays, I think also the complexities of the buildings. There are so many changes that occur through the entire process from excavation to finishing the building uh, to keep up with all the drawings and the complexities. That there's obviously a lot of change orders, a lot of uh, moving around, and a lot of hours spent across the board in the industry to try to keep things going and, and not to mention the planning process, right? You know, there's a lot of, um, you know, articulation of trying to change how buildings with wind and, you know, uh, green standards and all those components kind of play into the whole, 
you know, construction nucleus of uh, how the city works. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting that a lot of the largest developers, if they don't have their own construction company, uh, are trying to bring construction in house and uh, eliminate uh, you know third party construction companies. So um, it should be interesting to see how you know because the industry has to shift, right? I think we can all realize that you know pricing got too high, right? Pricing was forced up for several reasons: low interest rates and and inflation and and, uh, and things that will not exist, uh, hopefully, in 2024 and 2025. Well, not that, well, emergency level interest rates mean something bad has <laughs> really happened. So uh, we don't need emergency level. We just need, you know, lower than we have right now. I right? think people are just more aware of all the different components. Uh, you know, I think it's that self-awareness. Everyone seems to have a lot more of it, which is a, which is a great thing for the industry. I want to ask you another question, Pauline. I know that you you were saying there's a lot has been completed this year, like a record number. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we, we talk a bit about 2015, but we, we both know that CMHC did not, you know, accurately count the completions in, in 2015. So 2024 will be, or 2023 will be the record year for apartment, condo, and, and rental completions. And then... This year may may even top that. I think right? it'll I think it'll at least equal it. I don't sure if we're actually going to see enough of the rental deliverables. We have a lot underway that's kind of started some of the big projects. Obviously, people like Tricon and Fitzrovia. I will name them by name. They've got some really large properties underway, um, but that will probably maybe ease off and maybe the purpose built end while they try and kind of rev up. Um, but on the condo end, I mean, my stupid number, as I call it, because I will use that phrase, is probably about, you know, 36,000. But I mean, realistically, I am not, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another twenty-seven to 29,000 completions in the condo apartments. We already have buildings now that I'm actually knowing they're going to occupancy that just didn't make it last year. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an ongoing trend. And I mean, we'll just come down from our 100,000 plus that was under construction. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's interesting. You know, obviously we've, we've all, uh, you know, chatted for the last, we've been friends for 10, 15 years in the industry. We've, we've, you know, and there's, you know, going back to 2010, 2011, people were, there's going to be this oversupply. You know, we've heard it from, you know, a basement apartment dweller, no one sound, loudmouth short sellers, American hedge fund analysts, All our friends. mortgage brokers <laughs> with a two-star Yelp rating. So will we end up with oversupply? Are you, are we finally getting to that point where, where we're going to, you know, see, see rents coming down? And, and, well, and prices coming down because of supply, not because of interest rates. There is some softness in the rents in Toronto already because we're just been plowing so much, like 11,000 units into Toronto itself, not talking about the outer 905 regions. Yeah. So that is coming to play as well as kind of a bit of a mismatch. There's a lot of higher end rental product out there that's taking a little more time. And that's sometimes intentional, right, on their end to do that because of the, who they're looking to rent to. Um, so that's going to be the, where I think that the oversupply probably won't happen. I don't think it'll happen at all, but honestly, is that because we just maybe have a bit of a mismatch. Like right now we're talking about international students like that and, and you know, how much of a turn on, on, a, on, a, on a foot can we do for the industry to, to provide units that are suitable for that group of, of people and Apply the, supply that. So yeah, yeah. I mean, one point two five million yeah. population growth in Canada over the last year, uh, and uh, when we average three hundred sixty thousand, it's kind of bananas, right? So um, we'll be I think it's better for brands too, because you don't want to have. I mean, we're, you know, occasionally here the worst column story is like five people in a condo or more. I think that's low. Um, you know, th those overcrowding. We don't. Yeah. That's not great for anybody's brand to have that in in managing buildings and. That's yeah, a big area too, managing buildings. Well, that, so, that was a, that yeah. was a question I'll have for you, Anson. If you end up with 
you know, unsold supply completion. Do you guys ever rent those out? Uh, we have it. I mean, it's not, not an avenue we've kind of pursued. Yeah. Uh, I, I think obviously the management of it is a, a, a very different uh, component. Well, it's another, uh, another hat on. I, I already have rental buildings, so I, that, that's okay. But it's just a, it's just a different business, that's right? True. You know, I think just the market kind of resetting units, you know, it's just with having larger units, you also end up with, you know, we don't want to have three different roommates and have to, just you know, deal with the dispute of roommates and <laughs> that whole other business, and yeah. uh, and I think just the whole rental, you know, rebalancing a product. I think uh, you know we have an entire city full of studios up to three bedrooms across the entire GTA, and you know who's housing, who's living in the studios, who's living in all the one bedrooms and two bedrooms. There's going to be you know some dynamic shifts because I think you know having a a studio in Oakville, you know who's who's the person that's going to look for that proper project and and it lived in that product type versus uh, somewhere downtown, you know? So there is uh, we, we kind of built studios and so forth across all of GTA. And, you know, I think some of those things will need to uh, kind of balance back out in terms of rents, can a single income handle the rents that are expected. And then obviously we're getting to a bigger situation where, you know, majority of the city, one bedrooms and dens are now Basically, two bedrooms. Four fifty. Uh, yeah, they're four hundred fifty yeah. square feet, one bedrooms. Yeah. So they're they're no longer that five twenty five, which was that kind of that sweet spot for a few years. We have shifted comfortably under the five hundred yeah. mark. So. Six thirty two bedrooms. You know, it's yes. uh, yes. you know six ten two bedrooms. Split. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just don't buy winter coats. You should be okay. <laughs> for, for, don't take up the closet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't need a closet. So just uh, keep it in the party room, right? So. Episode 61 of the Toronto Under Construction podcast is brought to you by Channel 13 Advertising and Design Incorporated. They partner with real estate developers to articulate the value of place. Beginning with location and a vision, they build an identity around an environment. They provide developers with foundational tools for communicating the potential of their projects well before they are ever built. They can be reached at channel13.ca. So we'll talk a little bit about, about this. So, so maybe about 12 years ago, I, I started talking about an aggressiveness uh, index. So it's essentially, I compared new condo prices to resale prices and newly completed projects to kind of focus on a little bit more of a apples to apples basis. So for many years, that premium was kind of 10 to 20%, kind of averaging 15%, obviously bigger for projects with, with longer closings downtown, uh, you know, lower for kind of, you know, smaller outer suburban projects. But, you know, once we got into like late 2021, early 2022, we started to see projects come to market at 35% above resale, 40%, 45%. And I, I recently just did a, a, a look at some of the launches in 2023, and that average premium was still about 24%. So, uh, Andrew, so, so when you're pricing a new development, how much consideration do you give to the resale uh, in that market, and how much do you give to just the new condo projects? You just say, okay, this new comp- this project's selling for X. We're a slightly better location. We're above, or do you really jump into some of the the resale numbers? Market specific. Yeah. Um, full stop. Uh, yeah. Whether it's a downtown, you know, uh, project or somewhere in the nine hundred five, you have to take everything into consideration, pending on that market. I know you 
you know, we look at comps and, and you know, we price a building and, uh, you know, what's a premium on, on, on this corner versus this corner. Um, it's hard to price a building because it's an art. Uh, you can't just take one comparable and say, okay, building next door is a thousand dollars a foot. We're a bit of a premium and, and there you go. No, you got to look at all the factors. Uh, I think today more than ever resale is definitely a big, big factor, uh, given what's happening, you know, within the marketplace as well as the assignment marketplace. Um, and I know there's not really one area where you can track the assignment market. Yeah. So that's why you have to have a good handle on on all aspects, uh, whether it's the realtors, lenders, lawyers, and of course, you know, other other colleagues in the industry to get your information appropriately. Yeah. Well, I heard online that it's really easy to price a building. Oh. So you developers, <laughs> developers know exactly what the maximum amount you can charge for every single unit. So if we, if we as a public lower your costs, you'll just put all that in your pocket. What's that source, Ben? That <laughs> online source? Where's it coming from? It's all numbers. It's usually, it's usually pretty left-leaning people on Twitter that seem to think it's really easy to, to price a condo uh, project. So yeah. it's AI, actually the last few years have been... going to take over, Ben. Uh, the last few years have been the most difficult ever to do my job, right? Obviously, my job is to assist in uh, in pricing those projects for developers like yourself and lenders. And uh, I mean, when pricing is going up 20% a year, it's very difficult. And now that pricing is, the air is kind of coming out of the balloon, no one wants to really lower their prices significantly unless they're literally a couple weeks to complete to the building completion or they've already completed and saying okay yeah now we need to kind of mark to market uh as you know several developers will get to 70 80 percent sold and then just set their pricing 20 percent above market and yeah. just say if someone I wants, to, someone wants to if someone wants to pay this <laughs> then great if not i'll wait to completion i have a quality it. have a quality product i think people will will buy it when they get to walk through it so it's always quite interesting the different strategies that each developer has and sometimes it works out really well and sometimes they get burned. I've had several developers on this show that have said, I sold too much, right? I, I, well, I blew it. I sold it out and that was a what, big mistake, right? Well, if you go back to what happened within the last 18 to 24 months in construction costs and they needed to recoup some revenue, they couldn't because yeah. it's already pre-sold. So yeah. I understand that spot. Um, and it's definitely tough, but you can definitely get a premium for a finished product to what Anson was talking about. Uh, uh, a user. They yeah. can come in, touch the space, see the space, um, see the value, and you could price it appropriately. Yeah. You already seen it in the market, right? Like last fall when you saw how projects were successful or not successful, you know, there was quite a imbalance in terms of same area, but it might be $200 difference per square foot. But, yeah. Then the market tends to lean to the lower price than the higher price. And, you know, some people had more successful launches and then some people kind of uh, took a step back and I assume either they're going to come back with a different name or uh, come back out uh, because I, I think a common thing for developers is that we always believe that our site is better than everyone else's. And, you know, we got to, <laughs> you know, sometimes the the truth is in the numbers and trying to understand it and, you know, being, a, you know, working on master plans, obviously I have a kind of a guide because of my previous buildings, but I mean, it's, it's important to, to try to get that pricing in that right spot so that you're not uh, alienating the market. Because it, it makes no logical sense for someone to be next door to each other, but then there's $200 per square foot difference. It's, it's kind of hard to explain to your client. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, Pauline, there's been some, I would say, erroneous numbers being put out there in terms of how many projects are canceled. Oh, no. Even though, <laughs> as we know, that 
you know, these, uh, you know, other organizations will go out and survey developers like Anson and, and, and Andrew and say, do you have plans to launch this year? And they might say, well, we're gearing up to it. Yeah. No one's saying absolutely 100%, doesn't matter what happened, I am launching a project in September. If things are going really well and they get their approvals and they've, they, you know, essentially have, uh, you know, baked the cake and ready to go, they'll go. So it's not, nothing is set in stone, but to actually say, oh yeah, we've moved that back. It's not a cancellation or that's not a, it's not really a, um, you know, an, a real indication of what's happening in the market. But the other thing that's happening is there's launch sites that have been pulled from the market where if you go onto the website, it just says, we're just holding off for a new release. But when really, we really know that the project is canceled. So and any, I have your any, price list. <laughs> any insight on what's r- really happening? How many projects are actually really coming off the market that launched and that are not coming back? Um, I've never actually put together a solid number because it's the same way I feel about forecasting. It's just, <laughs> there's too many variables involved on it. And I will never use the phrase 10,000 units, which I know it was out there for a long time. And I'm going to say that, no knowing exactly how the construct of that worked, um, that the numbers in that range, the numbers that are coming up, we know projects are being shelved, but they're being shelved at different stages. So you get you projects that are getting shelved that are probably maybe in a ballpark range of coming out in about three to four months. Um, and then you get other stuff that just, they just stopped doing the planning for it, or they've just re- decided to retool. And part of that retooling actually is because of all the planning changes that have gone in the city, at least, they're going for higher heights. They're yeah. getting more units mm-hmm. because they have to look at their feasibility as well as what they can get now with, you know, parking minimum changes and all those things have gone on. That's their opportunity to kind of take a breather and, and say, okay, we're not going to work on this for a while. That's going on for sure. I always kind of use the example, I mean, not to you know pick on great golf. I'm not picking on you, great golf, um, <laughs> because this is a good example because it's a complex building, but the former project, which is a beautiful, you know, project being done by, you know, Geary, um, for years, it's been in planning, and every year you think it would come to the market, but it's very complex, and it has a lot of partners, and has a lot of work that has to go involved with that. So, you know, for like a four to five year friend, you think this is the year this is going to launch, <laughs> and that's the same for all marquee developments like that. So, you could never actually say that it's going to have to come to market on the front. It's just going to come to market. Usually, when that's happening is you end up projects that you know, oh, that site's now ready. Boom, here it's there. So to gauge it. Is in it's like an assignment sale tracking. It's just <laughs> yeah, it's it not, doesn't work. It's not um, a real it's not a real number, right? So no. and when people try to put a real number on it, they're just they're doing a disservice I mean, it's nice to the industry. To do, right? But I mean, I think we're talking more about like I'm more concerned about projects that you know maybe are have. There's a couple projects that have come on the market in Q4, um, and maybe they need to retool. Maybe they need to look at everything where they're coming at. That's not out of the question now. I mean, that happens all the time at a certain level. And then also, you know, people who should have been delivering and didn't have their financing in place and now are going into receivership. And there's, you know, units are coming to the market there. That's where I'm more concerned about those things going on. Um, and we've had those in larger scales for a while. We've had probably maybe had three larger developers in GTA in the last seven years. Yeah, go there. under. Yeah. We'll be considered larger, but not, you know, what I would call triple A developers either. So um, that happens. Um you know, real estate is risky. We all know that. That's a very basic truth. Yeah. yeah. So, so Andrew, when you're, when you're, you know, let's say that you do feel confident to launch in the fall, are you guys planning? Okay, it's gonna, it's gonna go back to the four, five month absorption. Or are you actually planning? Hey, this could take us 12, 18 months to get these units absorbed. Like, what's, what's the internal conversations you're having with your bosses there? Uh, well, the owners. I think we have to manage our expectations today, right? Yeah. Um, and we've seen launches in. Uh, you know, Q3, Q4 of 23. And, you know, sales were not very good for those. Uh, You know, normally you'd 
launch a project within two to three weeks, maybe a month, and you're 80% sold. Um, so we have to manage those expectations. I think sales are going to take a, a little bit longer, um, and we have to manage our absorption rate appropriately and, and um, you know, go back and fine-tune the you know, performa if we have to. And across the board within the industry, I think everyone's going to you know, be looking at that. But definitely, um, I know that you mentioned the fall, but we may be coming out a bit sooner. Oh, yeah. Oh, breaking news. <laughs> um, but you know, we're working our way towards those launches, and yeah. uh, and as I mentioned, once it comes back, it's going to come back quick. Yeah. But you, you guys have man, you have changed your expectations in terms of what the absorption will be and how long it will take you to get to that kind of. I think everyone has. Yeah. Um, subject to price, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a combination of price, average, average sweet size with end price. Uh, that's super, super important. Going back to um, interest rates, right? So your buying power has gone down. What you're able to qualify for, because of course we, you know, we need, you know, we need mortgage qualifications with every every sale, and you know, we need to know um, that buyers, you know, buyers could, could close on these units today, and price is super important because. We could afford more, yeah. essentially, and it goes back to suite size, right? <laughs> you know, prior to one, you know, one one bedrooms were in the five hundred range, but yeah, now they're getting definitely. smaller. So it's just not one number that applies. You know, applies to everything. Our industry is very unique in the sense of there's multiple factors that contribute to something, not just one. Yeah. So and I could put a couple numbers to some of this. So <laughs> sure. To, like, sure. Numbers. For, so, so 2023 apartments and new condos, approximately 20,618 units were really launched. Okay. So that's about 66 projects. Um, that is down about 7,000, 7,500 from a year ago, um, where we were kind of punching for a couple years here. I'm just looking at my numbers now, 20, 28, 29,000 for two years. But we also came off a very irregular period, right? Everybody was kind of shifting. We're above where we were in 2020, but you can't feed it on that front. The biggest thing we say in the absorptions is, is that the last two years, I mean, last year, because we obviously had the free fall after May, it was about 64% out of the, coming out of their first quarter, they would sell out of 64%. those units, which is okay. fantastic. And people were very used to that. So, mm-hmm. used that, to so that was still them, in, right? in Q1 of 2022? Last year. Yeah, 2022. Okay. This yeah. year... I would say that the number is probably going to be about 38, 42%. That's where I'm narrowing down to at this point. Um, just the new reality is coming out. You're doing 35%, and that's pretty good. That's what I'm seeing in the initial results from my Q4 launches, too, like the good ones, the ones that haven't been pulled, <laughs> but the ones that have been like, that's, that's the thing. You know, bigger units, lots of project to yeah. sell. They've got to come if they come out and they do a couple hundred, they're Okay, yeah. I guess. Because, you know, obviously when I, you know, probably 2007 was the first year I really started to cover the new condo market in, in, in great detail. And there was the expectation that, you know, developers needed to get to 70% sold and they would take 12 months to do so, right? Oh, and that was, that was the standard. Of, that was the standard <laughs> at that point in time. And then it became, you know, periods where if you did not sell yeah. 70% within the first month that you were on the market. It's a failure. Yeah people would forget about you because then the next hot thing is yep. coming on, right? Exactly. And then you've lost all your buzz, all your your whatever. And so it's it's very it's very interesting to see how that evolves back to, okay, we're just gonna release a little bit and sell a little bit and then maybe we'll offer something different than that. But that was old that, school, Ben. You know? I mean, we're aging ourselves yeah, here, yeah, but clearly. Just, but I'm still old school. <laughs> that's, that's how I operate. 2004, 2005, if you came out and you did 30 to 35% on your first couple weekends and that obviously with doing the legwork, that was a good launch. Well, I remember back when Monarch used to exist. You know, they <laughs> did fantastic at their Liberty Village project. This is, you know, what, what would go on. Mm-hmm. And you're absolutely, nobody's used to that. They're used to like, you know, 
80% sold. People need to recalibrate, think it over. It'll be interesting. Well, I think, yeah, success is kind of obviously going to kind of change from what the expectation was. It was kind of like automatic kind of expectation. But I think old school real estate would say you actually start working with your clients again and actually bring them to the sales center. Uh, We kind of got in the last five years, basically, people would find leads online, then like flip some emails and some texts and, okay, cool, I'll send you the contract, sign it, I just, I'll come pick up the money. You know, and and that's kind of a very informal million dollar transaction. Uh, so, you know, I think now, I think you're gonna, you're gonna get people kind of going to the sales center, back to where it used to, you know, come to the sales center two, three times, take a look at it again, get your, you know, your uncle or some friend that's kind of in the business to come with you to kind of kind of vet that. And we kind of lost all that. It kind of became this very direct approach uh, real estate, which, uh, you know, obviously people did, you know, were very successful at it, but I think we're kind of back in that situation. Pokemon card trading for a while. Like people well, there was no sales centers. There was no sales centers. They were like, what's your sales center? Yeah. It doesn't that exist. Was a big question for us. They're like, why do I want to spend a million dollars a question? And they would come from Vancouver. Sometimes they would want to see what's the sales centers in Toronto. I'm like, well, we didn't have any. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was that was crazy. The first time a developer said, "Well, now we're not going to we're not going to do one at all." All right. Well, why like, am I wasting my money? Yeah. Why am I you wasting know, my uh, money on it? Yeah. So I so still believe in sales centers. I got sales yeah. centers all across the city. So. <laughs> yeah. so, so Andrew, if if we do end up in a period of prolonged softness, can you still sell a 35 story, 40 story building with 20 percent investors? 20% investors? 20, 30% investors. It's going to take you a bit a bit longer to sell, that's for sure. <laughs> but you think you could still, you think you would still go and plan a, a building of that size? Oh, in terms of the planning process, um, you definitely have to relook at everything. When you buy, you know, so when you buy your land, you make certain assumptions and you have to pivot accordingly, right? So in the last 18 months, we definitely have gone through that as an industry where people bought land, they made certain assumptions, and here we are today. So it's just a a matter of uh, being flexible in the marketplace. Uh, You need need your sales as, and and you, as I mean, the industry, buildings need, you know, 70, 80% sold. So uh, we've seen it in uh, Q3, Q4 of uh, even Q2, you know, latter half of Q2, where buildings went out, launched, sold 20, 30, you know, 20, 30%. Now what? So I'm very, very curious to see what the industry does. Um, Incentives are going to come a long way right now, definitely to buyers as well as realtors who help sell sell these units. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've uh, I've started doing more rental studies on projects that have launched as condominiums I already. Think, I think and, we're going to uh, see more, more and, of that. And so I guess I mean, the question is to, to you guys, like at, at what point in time, if the market, let's just say that investors check out for 2024 and 2025, let's just talk about, you know, worst case scenario. Do you think that you might pivot to rental or is that just, you know, we'll shelve these things for, for a couple of years? You, or do you think you might pivot if, if rents continue to go up to a, a point that would make it financially feasible for you to get involved? Uh, at Tribu, we do have a portfolio of purpose-built rentals, so we understand it. And uh, right now, the purpose-built rental rent rates, because it has its own category, of course, um, you know, they're increasing a lot more than a condominium rental. So, um that's fantastic, but uh, there's a shortage of rentals for sure. We all know that. Um, you know, condominiums have been filling the void for you know for many many years. Um, uh, but you have to relook at everything in terms of 
that, you know, that performer to see if it works for sure as a purposeful rental. Um, it's a massive undertaking. And I know that there's current incentives to help. I don't know as an industry that we're there yet to, you know, flip that switch to, you know, start changing from condominium to, to purpose-built rental. But it's just a matter of if the numbers work from your, you know, from your hards and your soft costs. Yeah. So as you're, 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 so you're not, lo- you're not underwriting any deals as rental right now, any of your development sites? We always, we, you know, we always look at both sides, right? Okay. So, you know, sitting in the acquisitions meeting, Andrew, what do you think we can get here for, you know, for condominium as well as rental? You always have to look at both sides for sure. Interesting. Well, there's seven markets across, I mean, the seven major markets that we track across Canada for new purpose-built rental that have been built since about 2000 or 2005 or all along. The vacancy rate is less than 2% Mm -hmm. across those markets, major markets. So there's a tightness of demand that's definitely there. Yeah. And obviously you guys track the the rental market, which I am a uh, subscriber to. And and it seems the absorptions are going fairly quickly. Um, But it seems like the the maximum that a a developer can seem to absorb in a single month is around like 50 units. So then you count out, okay, what's the maximum size of a building? Because you don't want to go into year two and still have significant amount of units remaining. You know, if we do switch from condo, we're probably going to get smaller projects. Do you, would you agree with that statement or disagree with that statement? I think we're going to even out. I think I don't think of much of a difference in terms of that. Yeah. So you thing. think the rental developers will yeah, still I mean, do like get your, we'll like, get an, you Anson, know, an Anson type ninety-five tall. story like, rental building? Uh, Hundred to five. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think you'll, you'll see more mixed use. I think I think you're yeah. going to see more what you see in Asia, where you have you know market uh, rental and condos splitting so you can you know diversify the you know the financing for it as different yeah. entities or you know what you've seen in the states right states have pretty much become a professional renters market in many large cities across uh, yeah. the US after 2008 so i mean it's a very uh, obviously that that's a little bit different market because it's really um, it, it's more of a finance play for many large uh, rental building uh, owners in the states but in canada i think you, all of us have to look at the playbook of, you know, what options out there, and I think uh, we just have to be a little bit more creative. That it's not, it doesn't need to be one or the other. Yeah, it yeah. could actually be both. Be both. Yeah, that's interesting. Like I, it's funny. I was, you know, our market at one point in time was, you know, downtown condos, sixteen hundred dollars a square foot, rent. Four seventy-five a foot, right? Where and then someone said, "Oh, this is the numbers for Miami condo: eleven hundred to twelve hundred dollars a square foot. Rents six fifty to seven dollars a foot on average." So I was just like, "Really? That's you know, it's so different from from our market. Like it's it's more calibrated. Like the, the price of a condo and the and the rent when you look at the carrying costs here, there's such a enormous gap. If you're buying at sixteen hundred bucks a foot, like what's your what's your carry? Eight, eight and a half, right? <laughs> to carry that, different right? factors that play in some of those buildings too it's like those you want to come out of the gate and you want to get a certain level because you are purpose-built so you need that revenue so one either you incentivize to actually get to that level within a year or so after they have their next year of turnover rents or i mean you already come out of that level you know your absorptions are not going to be as fast but you're going to get that quality level tenant that may not turn over as much i mean i've actually i mean i go into some of these buildings and i well, quite a number of those buildings and I have a tour um, and some of them are you know, even offering kind of like to cap your rent increases in the second and third year oh, as renters. Yeah. But they're also already at a So they're self-rent controlling themselves. Self-rent controlling. <laughs> but I mean, if you think about it in the long term, I mean, yes, we you're looking for revenue value going down the road to deal with your costs, but costs also come from turnover and wear and tear as well. Yeah. So. 
Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, developers are self-rent controlling themselves. So. <laughs> I don't cases. care who is the government. <laughs> I am implementing yeah. it. Don't take this as a cue that it's all over the place. <laughs> So maybe I'll, I'll ask this question to you, Anson. I mean, to Andrew. COVID has kind of changed things a bit in terms of what the expectation of common amenities in in, in a building. We're seeing. Uh, I mean, if you don't have uh, a co-working space, you're just not a cool developer anymore. And and they're even seeing weird stuff like a quiet room where you can just go and just sit with a book and be away from your roommate because you're or your roommate or your six other roommates, right? Um, you know, what are you looking at in terms of amenities in some of your like downtown projects? This is a really good, you know, conversation because I I get very excited about planning our, <laughs> our, our uh, comment. No, because you know why? It's the hub of the building, right? Yeah. So um, once again, it's market specific, building specific. So uh, you know, we have a, you know, we're currently working through plans at our site at uh, Avenue Road in Davenport. Um, it's a it's 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 a fantastic building, and we're and we're working our way through our design and our you know um, amenity space. So. Other sites that are currently built, you know, um, a lot of a lot of them that we built into um, a kids a, like a kids playroom area. I think that's I think that's important. I know it's very you know generic and not cool and not fun, but I think it's the way that our buyers are headed in the sense of families. More and more families are moving into condominiums and and require it. Even we have a high rise site out in Oshawa, North Oshawa, in our, in our Winfield site. We have a children's playroom there simply because, you know, we've seen the, you know, families move in and we've implemented it and they, and they uh, need it. But amenities. Is it getting a lot of use? Absolutely. hundred yeah. um, percent. Amenities play a significant factor. You can't just roll a typical package in. You have to speak to, you know, to the market, to the buyers. It's a massive analysis. And, and um, one thing we don't do is pools. Yeah. Um, I think down the road, uh, it's a great amenity. Yes. Uh, great for renters, great for investors, but down the road, the costs to your buyers and your owners is substantial. Yeah. But uh, I definitely think COVID changed the way we plan our buildings. Like co-working spaces are very important as well. And we have a lot of clo- enclosed co-working pods, quote unquote. Yeah. Theater rooms. We actually have a podcast room. Nice, so, nice. We should have gone to the Tribute Podcast Room. It, Let's, damn it, it's not done yet. <laughs> oh, okay, it's okay. not done yet. Well, it's under construction. Well, the second time you're yeah. on, on the show, yeah, we sure. Will, we'll, 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 we'll invite you. You, 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 know, you bring all the gear. I'll go to the schwa. <laughs> it's actually it really turned out really really nice. We're proud about it. But uh, yeah, you have to get uh, really uh, creative because, as I mentioned, uh, amenity space. It's the hub. It's the hub of the. Uh, of the project, of the community. Yeah. Obviously, Anson, you've got some pretty massive developments, so meaning that you can justify some greater amenities. What are you looking at? Anything that's new that you're you're doing that you haven't done before? No, I mean, I I guess we're pretty tried-tested true, but I mean, I think to uh, Andrew's point, I mean, I I live in a condominium with two kids, so for me, like the kids' playing areas and both indoor and outdoor are pretty important to me. You know, that's how my son learned how to ride a bike was on the outdoor amenities. Not so, through the hallways? No, uh, <laughs> it was uh, actually above the pool. Uh, so that, that's always unique. And I think the one thing that was like, our main thing is actually making sure the maintenance fees kind of stay controlled. So I think making sure that the amenities can actually have a long lasting component of it. Because I think one of the biggest challenges is that we create so many rooms that 
most of the cost is actually just cleaning the rooms, even though people <laughs> don't actually use it. So I think it's making sure that, you know, the big thing is gyms are, and that wellness component is really popular. So yeah. we've, we've started kind of with some of our bigger projects, we can actually, you know, bring in like the sleds, the, uh, you know, uh, the ropes and all these other, you know, very popular kind of fitness uh, tools that okay. uh, people like to use because we have more room. But yeah. I, I would say that's probably the number one use space. I think theater rooms would kind of step back from just because everyone seems to be streaming in their pajamas. Yeah. So and they, their, and their TV, you know, and people's TVs are so good you know, now. And for the, the, the 120 right? inch TV is yeah. kind of hard to compete. To. We actually thought of that too, but then we had a great idea and we kind of had a hybrid theater room karaoke room. So you can kind of partake and, you know, use the screen. And no, I think uh, that's important because, you know, like I think longevity of some of these rooms are, is, is really important in terms of like multi-use. We went to the whole stage of where everyone had like a video game room or like a TikTok room or miscellaneous, but even a video game room to keep up with the video, like the, the, the consoles, consoles and yeah. the games and all that stuff. It's, it's yeah. not really that feasible for a, you know, a condo board to start yeah. running that. So you, you have the, uh, your first project that you do have the Sega Genesis in it or something like that. We ordered it when we, during pre-construction and when it came, it uh, became a whole different game. So. I, I think it also coming from living now in a condo development that kind of was under the grandfathered rules, appreciate having that extra space. But I think these guys touched upon it. It's the indoor-outdoor complementary. So it's not just an indoor child's area, it's an outdoor child's area indoor fitness area, outdoor fitness area. They both are needed in terms of that end line. And pet space, like pet space is massive in terms of just- Where they can uh, urinate. Yes, yeah. that's a massive, you know, pet peeve for yeah. a lot of people. Yeah, like outside so, of this building, there's, you know, every bench has got a little tra little yellow trail coming from at the corner, right? So it's like, oh, it'd be nice if there had been a, a nice right? little spot kind of, you know, with a little dog. There was a little bit of space there that they could have put a little grass and, and encouraged people People to but it's hard on the there. buildings, though. Over yeah. over time, like we've looked at pet washes and like um, pet runs and so forth. It, it, it's actually quite hard on the building, like over time. Yeah, uh, obviously changes your elevator dynamics quite a bit. But you know, even <laughs> pet washes, you know, uh, as much as we want everyone to, you know, wash the dog and towel them off, and you know, when they start running down the hallway all wet, <laughs> it's not really an <laughs> ideal scenario. So I think you yeah. know, like even for us, we've switched to pet stroller bike washes uh, on the on, on P1, like okay. more of a, you know, wash all type component just to make sure that, you know, the person that lives on the same floor as the pet wash doesn't end up with, you know, all your wallpaper, all your carpet always uh, being damaged, which, yeah. you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's that mutual respect component yeah. of it, but we also have to set them up for success as well. Yeah, the market also what set the bar is the new purpose-built rental in Toronto. It set the bar in terms of the actual amenity spaces for yeah, a lot that of new was Actually, condos, the question so. I was going to ask you because I, you know, I get asked all the time: Should we do a pool? All right, and I think downtown a rooftop pool that's cool, and there's, you know, attractive people around the pool, and it's so cool. I think that is a great selling point. But then when you're selling a pre-construction condo, and that investor goes, "Your condo fee is what?" Uh, no, I don't want to buy that. Right, so it's a little bit different than even though they are ultimately most of them are ultimately going to rent the unit out, but they're more concerned with the increase in the price per square foot as opposed to a tenant that says, "Hey, this is the lifestyle for me." Right, so uh, I don't know. If there's a, a, a question any there somewhere, but, but it's uh, also it's also comes down to management, right? We have so many of these condos are finishing up right now. They're really lucrative. You, if you're a good condo manager or somebody who can be like a professional concierge or like that, that is like 
you know, we should be giving them a little more resources on that front. And obviously we have a couple of companies that kind of do that, the core of those, but, you know, coming from like, again, my own experience, we have an outdoor, a beautiful outdoor pool, love the, love the view. Um, but you know, when you have if one guy who brings over 50 people and they're not managed <laughs> and they're, um, you know, doing things on the rooftop, all the other people can see from other units. Um, it just, it's not a good thing. So and, you don't join and, the party, the 50, 50 guys that come yeah, over. It sounds yeah, like fun. Yeah. My, uh, you know, rave days are over so it's, it's, uh, rave days. <laughs> all, right? yeah. um, it's that's something to consider it's the management of it all and yeah. i think obviously with, with pinnacle and all three of you guys are you know like your yeah. brand right you got to have the right people in there that you don't have these problems down the road because then sometimes and size of builder, pools too right, right? Like, yeah it's you know the cost to maintain it is the same but then you have like a 12 by 12 pool that Outdoors. is for yeah. one person and it's not for laps. It's not for being like it. Some of those things are don't do it just for the sake of saying you're doing it. Yeah. Like you got to have a product that makes it make sense for someone enjoying the summer or someone to swim laps or do something. Otherwise, you make a really good point in the sense of, um, you know, from the lens of an investor looking at these maintenance fees and saying, hey, like, yes, I get all these great amenities, but these maintenance fees are outrageous. Um, sitting on a um, condo doc meeting for one of our files, uh, talking to the property manager, there's going to be a, like a jumping condo fees that we're, that we're going to see within the next 12 to, to 24 months with insurance and, and um, operations. There's, you know, there's a sh- shortage of property, property managers out there. Mm-hmm. And with all these buildings that, you know, Pauline alluded to that are going to be closing, there's a shortage and we, and, we need people and they're going to command all sorts yeah. of prices. I, right? I, I actually did a presentation for the CMRAO, the you know, economy and managers, okay. something of Ontario. Sorry. Sorry guys. If you're listening, <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember the name of your acronym, but uh, you know, they're trying to plan in Ontario yeah, and they're like, we don't have enough people Correct. to do the jobs uh, to, to manage these, these buildings. And, and you can see the, the difference in, in what someone will pay for a purpose-built rental versus a brand new condo side by side with similar levels of amenities. These some of these new rentals are getting $5, 525, 550 a foot where the same brand new condo project is getting 450 to 475. The, the gap in some of these markets is huge for this essentially the same product, same size, but a lot of them the projects especially ones, you know, we're going to pump the tires of Fitzrovia again that the lobby is just done better. They can, they're incorporating a, a, a cafe. They're, they've got the full, you know, multiple full-time staff on there to, to be there. The lobby is larger, more grand, more welcoming, right? As opposed to some of the condo projects where, you know, the developer just wanted to maximize GFA, right? You know, I'm going to maximize GFA and uh, I'm sell as much as this is possible. Things are selling 80% in two weeks. So why do I have to care? Here's a, here's they're, a, here's a virtual concierge from, from Scarborough. Oh. <laughs> Go ahead. They're cleaner layouts. They're yeah. also, you know, very well laid out one bedrooms. They're also thinking about the wear and tear when people come in and out of the places. Yeah. Um, and also just, over term. So there is an uptick in terms of the quality of the actual finishes themselves because of just the spec and how that goes, right? So like normally, you know, a buyer would come in and do that themselves and pay for the extra mm-hmm. upgrades, but that's what rental developers doing. Yeah. So because they know they don't want to have to like replace all the doors within like yeah. next number of years. So yeah, yeah, it's an interesting, uh, as, I've, as we've said on this podcast several times, condo developer needs to sell once, whereas a rental developer needs to sell many, many, many times. Um, so it's a different kind of dynamic there. I mean, and obviously you guys are quality developers, build quality product, but as you know, there's 
a few yam yams got into the business <clears throat> and uh, have built some pretty bad. Well, I think that's products. a good thing now, right? I think with uh, you know, I think the industry is going to be a lot more disciplined, kind of to the same layout and kind of timing that maybe Andrew and I put into all the layouts. It, it's that's what you're going to see a little bit more. I think you know when it's kind of when you don't look at the layouts, the layout's poor, but it's selling, people are okay with it. But now when things aren't selling, layouts are, are still paramount. And, and I think that's, um, that's a discipline we need across the entire yeah. GTA because it got to a point where it's like, it's okay, I'll sell, but you know, there's no place for a TV. You can't, <laughs> yeah. you, you, what kind of shape bed do you have to fit in here with, it's, it's difficult. My favorite is the floor plan that shows the couch half against one wall and half off of it. I'm like, just don't, don't even put the couch. <laughs> yeah. or the, one, the one with one chair. <laughs> yes. Seven doorways, but, and one chair. One chair. That was the living room. So, yeah. you know, I think those are all across the board. Like, I think we make a better industry if we're all, giving out better product. It was funny in terms of just, I want to tell a funny story. I got a, a floor plate from someone. Instead of having a square corner unit, it was two triangles. What? Yeah, two triangles on the corner and it had just like two doors kind of like almost facing each other. And I was just like, did an architect do this? <laughs> or did you just yeah. draw this yeah. on uh, on one of those AI websites it's or something a, like awesome that? Shower. Awesome shower. That. Awesome shower. Right? Um, well, let's move on to like a slightly different topic. And I know that we, because we all essentially met, you know, 15 years ago at industry events. But, um, you know, obviously this industry relies very much on, on relationships. Um, how do you approach uh, 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 networking these days? I know a lot of the events that I go to, Kind of feel like a grandpa, right? There's, there's, <laughs> yeah. there's, you know, like what? Do you have any advice for you know some of the uh, someone trying to build like a strong network these days? No, I, I feel like it's it's similar, and I think it just you had to put some effort into it. I feel like yeah, you actually have to go up to people because I feel like it's most events are pretty cliqued out. You have the uh, you know, I, I can't say we're the old ones, but we're definitely not the the young ones. <laughs> uh, so it's kind of like a little bit awkward, but I would say randomly emailing people and texting people isn't really that effective. I think actually coming up and doing your homework is actually pretty uh, pretty important nowadays when you go to network events. Yeah, Andrew, obviously I saw you at a recent event and Pauline was was there. Are you are you still making an effort to try to get it to these some of these things or you're just like kids, life, you know, like I, I've met as many people as I need to meet. Like what's, what's your strategy these days? No, you can't stop. I know that COVID uh, really shut it down yeah and people got comfortable now you got now ben you have me fired up on the work from home stuff right <laughs> <laughs> but um to your point like you know you know for those that are tuning in and and you know learning and what uh, network as much as you can our industry is massive mm -hmm. but it operates so small like mm -hmm. everyone knows someone everyone knows everyone and i know it's so cliche it's not what you know it's who you know but that applies more than ever in yeah. our business simply because we rely on a lot of people to do our job, right? It's picking up the phone and calling Pauline and say, hey, what do you think about this price point? Or, you know, so where do you see this happening? Or calling Anson, you know, what kind of spec are you using in your building or anything, or even calling you and, you know, bending your ears. So networking is massively important. I know that, you know, from when I got into the business, my life has completely changed in the sense of personal life and time, but um, you have to be strategic with time. And, and you have to just set your goals and who you want to talk to and, and go straight to the top. Uh, <laughs> you'd be surprised of, of, of how many people just want to chat and grab a coffee and um, industry events are changing. Like some of these parties are four, five, 600 people, right? Yeah. But 
the one-on-one, you know, or a, a small function, it's, it's very important yeah. for sure. So, Pauline, obviously, you're, you're, you have multiple reasons to go out to these events yes. in terms of trying to sell your product, to trying to get information for that, uh, um, that, that, that product, right, in terms of getting sales and stuff. Are you still trying to hit the, the scene? I know that you don't have a, you know, three kids and two dogs. Like, yeah, three like, cats. Uh, this guy. I admit that. <laughs> um, I have three cats. Yes, I had a COVID take in. I was very pre before it was cool. Um, <laughs> I, I'd say, like, I still go out. I like to go out and, you know, have a good time, maybe not as late as everybody else now. But I mean, when we started, there wasn't one, the biggest things that have changed is, is the share of women involved. You know, say I know I'm talking with three guys here, but you know, we had a women in, in real estate event last spring when we we're working on our next one. Um, we had, you know, over a hundred people sign up for it. Like, and these are all women who are actually not at the start of their career, which, you know, I want them to, but they're not there. anything. it was something to be proud of. So we're trying to get out and do that. Um, other thing is just an example. I mean, for the young people coming through as market researchers, just to have a little bit of fun, but meet people because that's how we met people. I mean, I met people going out on site for like years yeah. <laughs> and just talking to people. And it's still like, I quite frankly, come have coffee with me. I'm happy to have coffee with you anytime. I know, you know, work beside Deneen. So we're good. Um, but that's, that's just the biggest changes and just getting out. And also Zonda Urban as a brand, we're technically well known out West for a long time under the old thing, but we are trying to kind of get out there as a, a new player in stats in yeah. Canada. So. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I'm in, obviously in business for myself. And so I count the dollars per hour, right? And I don't want to get back down on my studies, but also people expect me to know what's going on, right? So I need to get out there and, and talk to people. So it's not always easy to um, to, to, to get out and, and uh, out late and, and try to meet people. But I think it's it's so immensely important. People call me up, go, Ben, yeah, we met 15 years ago. This is what I need, right? And it's amazing that, you know, I made enough of an impression on someone chatting with them 15 years ago that they would entrust me with their their business. It definitely now, needs so. to be more patient. You know, it's uh, you know, it's okay to invest in relationships. It doesn't need to like you don't have to make a sale within the first four <laughs> seconds of <laughs> yeah, meeting someone. True. And yeah. I think that's the you know, I think that's really important because I think nowadays I think the amount of you know calls or anything that I get that people are like, you need me. Otherwise, you, your business will not be successful. And I'm like, you don't even know what my name is. You know, it's uh, you called me something different. Yeah. Uh, so I think it's just important that you want to talk to the business owner. Yeah, yeah, relationship is you know really important. And and I think that's you know it's not maybe the new age dating scene, but you know in terms of like hey, it's, we got to do something in like three seconds. It's really someone. You know, long-term relationships is yeah, really critical yeah. it, in our business. It is kind of annoying. People try to sell you something right off the bat, right? So, and I imagine you guys probably get a lot of people on LinkedIn trying to be your, uh, you know, your LinkedIn friend because they've got, uh, you know, some type of construction product, new construction product that you can't live without. Right. So that must be an interesting to look at your LinkedIn in the morning. You need, your, you need my sales software. <laughs> Otherwise you don't know how to sell. So I, I feel like uh, I take it as a personal challenge. Yeah. Well, we had, uh, we had our friend Tim Ning on there who, uh, black line software is making a big, uh, uh, a big splash in the industry. So I'll give him another plug because he's a, he's a great guy and we, we do a little basketball event together. So, Anyways, anyways, let's let's one more kind of fun thing uh, before we, we 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 wrap things up, uh, wrap things up, and go to our rapid fire, which is which is a you know a segment very looked forward to in the industry. So, uh, social media, 
I know you guys all have Twitter accounts or X accounts, but not really particularly active. Yeah, as you know, people have been calling for crashes and spreading negative news. They always get more, you know, more likes and more engagement. So, Andrew, do you think there's much value in in in, in social media in terms of these, like the Instagrams, the the Twitters, uh, in terms of you know, in a real estate context, in terms of network and learning? Do you, do you still think it's a valuable tool for you? Uh, individual. I'd say so, yes, but more importantly, on the um, sales and marketing side for a development and your company, it's very important. Uh, People are now finding your project's information online, on their phones. We're designing, and I'm sure a lot of people are, we're designing our marketing pieces to accommodate phones and phone sizes, and whether it's in landscape or in in portrait. Um, And of course, all all the social media platforms, uh, specifically Instagram, uh, and uh, Google and Facebook, you can definitely, like we get really good leads from from them. It's just a part of the whole sales and marketing program. Yeah. Um, Anson's nodding his head, so he would probably uh, <laughs> chime on this as well. But from an individual point of view, yeah, you connect on social media and you know follow each other and whatnot and see what everyone's doing. Uh, I'm a Twitter guy. I get yeah. a lot of, I don't post, but I yeah. get a lot of information and you've been on there for a while i did a quick i did a quick search to see what you're, you're talking about and there's stuff from you're posting stuff from like 2011 yeah, who and knows? 2012 who, right who, who knows right yeah. but uh i definitely follow just for information purposes and yeah. whatnot there's a lot of good data that a lot of good people post and uh you can definitely learn a lot but um from the corporate side and the project side it's 100 percent super important to have that a part of your uh, sales and marketing programs yeah and now I know, Pauline, that Zonda is pretty active on the mm-hmm. U.S. side yeah. posting things. And so have you guys discussed your kind of social media strategy in the, and I, for, for I the Zonda Urban? I have a fantastic communications person who runs across Canada. Um, and we're putting out going to be putting out more content this year. So um, definitely something we're kind of keeping in mind. Okay. Um, and I have my own personal usage. <laughs> You're just a bit of a lurker. I, I, I know that you put out a few tweets here I, and there. I, I, I am choice. I have opinions. <laughs> um, I also get a little exhausted as of late. Um, I would not going to go on a full on rant, but I think that you know that Twitter has its its use has shifted towards Instagram and TikTok. Um, in terms of just the value that I get from real estate. I think that sometimes there's some really great people that put points out there, but I think also there's just the structure of it and wanting to have engagement for the sake of engagement versus actual quality is not there. Yeah. Yeah. And Anson, I know we're, we, we follow each other on Instagram. We like each other's kids. You got the <laughs> cutest little, little, little guys there, but I know, you know, obviously you, uh, you haven't done much on the, on the Twitter side of things. Did you have, did you find it at any point in time having value and why did you decide that that was just really wasn't well, the value I, for you? I mean, I get a lot of information from, from Twitter and X and I read a lot of material, obviously from, from sources that I, I actually know versus miscellaneous accounts yeah. uh, or fake news. And, yeah. uh, you know, and, uh, <laughs> But I think that it is a key component of it. It actually helps me filter uh, information, but it also gives you that diversity, which you tend not to find uh, on a regular basis in yeah. terms of uh, it could be about cars, it could be about um, trends on housing, just in general, just a variety pack. And I think that's that's something more critical. And then, you know, in the sales and marketing side, it's it's quite important to have that presence because I think it's it's how... I guess nowadays to kind of create validity on how uh, if projects are actually coming or if it's coming from the sources, the, you know, it's real. Like it's, it's, it, I get the same criticism right now with our website because all our projects are inside pinnacleinternational.ca. And I'm like, 
I have to keep it in my website because otherwise everyone's going to create a new website and they won't know it's me. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, the, a little bit of identity crisis uh, yeah. in some ways and, and kind of uh, trying to make sure that we're positioned in a place where at least they know the news is real and official and yeah. it's not someone that just that quickly just copied my entire website. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's amazing. It's an interesting <laughs> place. I used to be really active on, on on Twitter, on X, and I just it was just the same conversations over and over and over and over again. And I would I would post something that's based off my 15, 20 years of experience. The fact that I spend eight, nine, ten hours a day looking at condo market data and speaking with experts like like you guys, speaking with lenders, speaking with uh, uh, with other developers and people a lot smarter than myself, and and trying to relay that information to the market. And then, you know, you get like three likes and then some realtor with a bad haircut from Leslieville is like, well, this is what developers should be doing. And then 400 likes, right? Think, they just tell blood, people what they want. Your blood pressure is much low. But it <laughs> yeah. should be much better. I, I assume, uh, you know, I think yeah. all that uh, frustration, I think that's why I don't do it myself. I, I actually like Instagram, like as of late. I find that it's been a pretty good tool. I mean, obviously I'm on there for other reasons, but um, to kind of gauge hype. And hype is not something you can actually kind of quantify. It's what are the major brokers, you know, the major platinum, what we call platinum or whatever color they are today, yep. um, actually pushing for it. And how long do they push it for? Are, why do they go to these events? Which developers are they gravitating towards? Which projects mm-hmm. they are? And I find that actually is kind of a telltale of a little bit of the heat in the market. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Point. That's yeah. a valid point. Because right. there's multiple, sometimes multiple parties on the same day. Yes, which one they do they go to, s- right? Who goes to what, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's an interesting way of trying to, to, to gauge the market. Because there's, there's so many of these events, right, that are that are happening on a on a fairly regular basis. So, yeah, it's interesting. Social media is unfortunately not not quite where we want it to be. Uh, I wish that there was there was more smart people engaging on it. Right, uh, you know, so many smart people, but they just you know they just don't like the way that it operates and how the way that it uh, kind of you know created. all the stuff. It's funny. I just because I just laugh because all the stuff that I said in 2011 and 2012 it all turned out to be accurate. Right, when people say oh the market's oversupplied, everything's going to crash. $500 a square foot. That's ridiculous. Why would anyone pay that for a new condominium? They're going to lose their shirts. And there right? was never so. any timeline actually tagged into that, right? It was hedging your bets to when, when, when a slowdown happened. Yeah. Honestly, and, and so now the market's, you know, yeah. 13,000 sales or 14,000, whatever it'll be like, well, now we're right. Look, it's a crash. <laughs> we told you so. We told you yeah. so. <laughs> I told you in 2013. Yeah. Timestamp. Anyways, anyways, well, we'll, we'll, we got to move on because we're getting to outdoor time and I want to be respectful of your, uh, your time here. So we do a rapid fire section. I know you guys are, are, are all listeners of the podcast. So you know about the rapid fire section. So essentially I'm going to hit you with a bunch of quick questions. We're looking kind of, you know, less than 10 words, maybe 15 words maximum, but I know that most people can't quite keep them that, uh, that short. Most of them will be real estate related, but I throw a couple others in there to, to throw you off. So, so Andrew, I got you, uh, I got you first here. So Uh-oh. are you ready? Are you ready? Should, not sure. Go not for sure. It. All right. So should banks get more blame for house price bubbles? Banks? No. Banks? No. 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 Okay. If you had to describe the current state of the condo market using only emojis, which emojis would you choose? Oh, this is a good question. <laughs> only because I only use a couple emojis in my own texting, <laughs> yeah. which is thumbs up and the smiley face. <laughs> yeah. um, I'd have to give it the thumbs up because, thumbs up? Yeah, okay. because it's going to... 
it's, 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 it's only going to go up. That's good. That's good. Do you expect more condo cancellations in 2024, launched projects that get shelved? No, or? no, no. They're going to get retooled, rejigged, um, and relaunched. Relaunched. All right. Okay. Should investors be allowed to list assignments on MLS? No. No. Oh, interesting. Okay. No, that's a hard no. Okay, last one for you. What's going to be harder to source next year for a new condo project, equity or debt? Equity. Equity. Okay, interesting. All right, Pauline, you're up. Go. If you had to pick a municipality with the most overpriced new condos, which one would you choose? Mississauga. Mississauga. Interesting. Interesting. I thought you might go like Curtis, Ontario or something like really (laughs) small just to not to offend anyone. Okay. Does the average condo investor give a shit about ESG? Not really. I didn't think so. Um, If you could have a new condo anywhere in the world, where would it be? I've been doing a lot of traveling lately. I've been been seeing you doing some traveling. So Um, I I actually, you know. (laughs) I will relay that I have relatives that have bought like a condo in Brecken, Netherlands on the seafront, a three bill, three uh, bedroom unit, 1100 square feet on the North Sea. Sounds pretty good to me, actually. That's interesting. That's interesting. So what do you prefer for condo exteriors uh, on the podium, black brick or red brick? Black. Black. Okay. Interesting. What is the most annoying trait that a boss of yours has had? I once knew somebody who threw pencils up into the ceiling all day long oh, to yeah. see if they'd stick. Okay. I won't name names. Are they in the room? Or <laughs> no, be, being tall. <laughs> yes, being tall. Freakishly tall is boss. boss. Tall boss. boss. Yes. <laughs> all right. Here's one that's going to be a really tough one for you. Really, really tough. What is a better band? Tears for Fears, Toto, or Duran Duran? How can you even ask me that? It's Duran Duran. And anybody who's ever seen me on social would know this <laughs> to the point of obnoxious. Okay. Last one. Last one. Should purchasers get a credit on closing when maintenance fees are significantly higher than the original marketed number? No. No. Oh, she's trying to get friendly with you guys here. I think that they did a better job of doing the maintenance fees estimates. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fair. All right. Anson. If you make over $200,000 a year, should be, you be allowed to live in a rent-controlled apartment? No. If there was a blockbuster movie about the ups and downs of the GTA condo market, who would play you in the film? Hmm, that's a very good question. Is it race if I say Simon Liu? Simon Liu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Sure, he's involved in the condo game. Yeah. Could be a conflict. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to his manager. Could be a conflict. I like that. That's and good. he used That's to live good. in our building. So Did like he? Way back in the day. Nice, nice. Better city to be a condo developer, Toronto or Vancouver? Toronto. There's more land. More land. Okay. Makes sense. Is there a lot of demand for electric car charging ports at your projects? Sadly, no. No. Interesting. Okay. Should the Vancouver Canucks go back to the black, red, and yellow color scheme? I do enjoy it, and I do have a jersey from when I was a kid, so I'll, You'll say I'm yes? all good. Yeah, okay. I'm good. You're on board? Okay. Should there be more transparency around closing costs above the contracted sales price? Around the, uh, you know, uh, should there be more transparency on what those costs are? It seems like some developers are just willy-nilly to throw everything on there. Uh, it's a little bit more thorough now with the Tarion. Tarion indicates that. They're, they're what, cutting, they're what, cutting down. What the ranges are and so forth. So, yeah. you know, I mean, obviously there's large costs for 
you know, Terrion, which is the governing body, and then obviously uh, government uh, development costs. So, but yeah. that's all stated in the contract nowadays. No. It's much better than it used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because there's been there were some crazy things that I used to see back in the day. Uh, so for sure, I agree. All right, last one. What upgrades are purchasers getting right now? From us, not not much uh, upgrades. Yeah, we're, we're, we we hold a pretty high standard. Pretty so high don't. standard. So you're not seeing a lot. No. Andrew, you, any any comments? Any uh, people getting upgrades for, uh, on your projects, your high rise projects? Um, on our um, user specific projects, a little bit more. Yeah, but uh, you know, typical, you know, building, not much. Not much. Yeah. Bathtub no. to shower. Yeah. <laughs> the, the wild one. Yeah. Are you are you getting rid of bathtubs like in a lot of the rooms, just going straight showers? No, we're still no. doing bathtubs. Can we have wet rooms? I really like those. The shower yeah. and the tub, but it's all wet, so you don't have to clean it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, we're keeping bathtubs in there. Yeah. If it's a one bed, for sure. Always a one bedroom. Always, okay. And then if it's a two bedroom, we put our shower in the uh, ensuite. Yeah. Awesome. One, one in one. Yeah. Correct. Awesome. So before before we wrap up, Andrew, is there anything you want to plug before we go? Uh, you can find me online on LinkedIn. Just you know, search my name, Andrew Cotts, and uh, you could uh, visit us on our website at mytribute.ca. Uh, if you want to find me via there, by all means, you can contact us. But it's all online. Nice, nice, Pauline. So Zonda is a, essentially a new a new entrant into the market. Uh, uh, anything you're, you're you're plugging that you want to plug? I know you've got yeah. the, the new new markets that you're, you're covering. The, it's all about new markets and, and spreading the knowledge around. So obviously we're at zondahome.com and zondaurban.com, which is our main focus. Like that, um, we are just getting rolling Halifax and London underway and doing Niagara and KW coming up and and then to go back for the year. So and if there's lots any of females listing, how do they and they want to be part of your 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 female events how do they how do they get a hold of you um well they can reach out to myself which i am findable on our website okay. um, and we can always add you to our very long list of you want to come out to these events um definitely it's it's a great learning experience you meet a lot of people across the industry on this one so awesome anson yeah. anson how do they uh someone wants to buy a unit in a in a pinnacle project where do they go well, they can definitely go into our website pinnacleinternational.ca and you can definitely find me on LinkedIn and email me and we can show you a place. We have sales centers. <laughs> we have sales centers. Yeah. I, like that. I think that's, a, I think that's a, a dig at some of these other guys. So anyways, I, I appreciate all you guys coming. That was a great conversation. We covered a lot of ground. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Ben. Thank you.